Hey, before we begin, a quick reminder that today's episode is made possible in part by the Todd and Stephanie Schnick Foundation. Find us at schnickfoundation.org. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Let's go, y'all. You are listening to The Foundation Podcast. Our goals are to help you build the foundation to live your best life, help solve problems, better serve humanity, and to become a beacon to help inspire change. We connect you with today's leaders, affecting positive and impactful global change. And now, here are your hosts, Todd and Stephanie Schnick. All right. Welcome back to the Foundation Podcast. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my co-host and partner in the Todd Stephanie Schnick Foundation, Stephanie Schnick. Stephanie, good to have you. This is going to be critically important conversation. Part of the mission that we have at the Schnick Foundation is to provide education and support to family caregivers. Uh, You and I also are family caregivers. Uh, My mother is late-stage Alzheimer's. You connected with Amy a while back. I'm curious how you did that, uh, but this is going to be a great conversation. Well, I actually caught Amy on the Today Show one morning, and then right after that, we ran into each other in a caregiving group online, and so it was serendipitous to connect. Good timing. Yeah. Talk about good timing. We're going to talk today about caregiving in the age of COVID-19. You and I are stressed just dealing with ourselves, you and I living in this existence. Uh, I can't imagine a caregiver at home with a loved one who's battling dementia or Alzheimer's or even cancer. What what a tricky time. Our guest today is going to share some really critical information about how to get through this challenging time. So let's get to it. We're joined today by Amy Goyer. She is a writer, speaker, and consultant specializing in caregiving and family issues. She is a certified aging in place specialist off-quoted media authority on shows, as Stephanie said, like the Today Show, although today she's stepping up to the Schnick Foundation podcast. (laughs) Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's really a great pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. This is a crazy time for all of us. I know that uh, you're busy out there helping other families that are going through very challenging times with COVID-19, so we're really, really grateful that you've carved out a few minutes to spend with us, so thank you on behalf of Stephanie and I for that. Before we dive in, we have an extensive agenda. Take a few minutes and tell us a bit about you and your background and the work that you're out there doing. Right. Well, I've worked in the field of aging for about 35 years, and I started out as a music therapist, actually, working in adult daycare centers and homes. And I worked, did a lot of intergenerational programming. And I worked for the Ohio Department of Aging for a number of years, doing more administrative things. I was a field rep and did uh, I led an intergenerational uh, statewide initiative with the schools. And then I was uh, monitoring the Older Americans Act funds that went out to the area agencies on aging. So I would make sure that the funds were being spent the right way. And then obviously I became very familiar with home and community-based services that way. And then I went and worked for AARP in Washington, D.C. for about 15 years and headed up their grandparent caregiver program and as some intergenerational programs too. And then I quit my job so that I could be more there for my parents because I had cared for my grandparents when I was in my 20s and they were in Indiana. I was in Ohio. My parents were in Arizona. So I was closer. I was working in the field. I was the one who would go over and I I got my grandparents' Meals on Wheels set up at first and then home health aides. And eventually they had 24-hour care at home. My grandmother had Alzheimer's. 
my grandfather was kind of taking care of her and then eventually it became too much for him. And they had to go to a nursing home at the very end of their life because they ran out of money. And at that time, there was no Medicaid waiver for in-home services. And my grandmother died four weeks after that and my grandfather six weeks after she. And he was 98. Wow. And she was 88. So they had their wishes, you know, right up to the end of their life. And then my mom had a stroke when she was only 63. So my dad was caring for her and his parents. And I was trying to help long distance. I have three older sisters. And they also, you know, we all kind of became respite for dad. And I came out and made sure mom got in a good rehab program. And then when I left, my sister came. And over the years, just a lot of help and support for my mom. She had aphasia. She was not paralyzed, but she had constant pain on her right side. And so a lot over the years. And then my dad developed Alzheimer's. So that's when I quit my job. And I moved out to Arizona from Washington, D.C. and left my boyfriend in Baltimore. And yes, we're still together after 11, well, we've had almost 14 years, a long distance relationship. Wow. Yeah. We talk about the sacrifices that caregivers make, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I became an independent consultant at that time. And don't regret it a bit because my parents uh, lived in a senior community for a few years and they moved in the house with me. And my mom died a year later. And at the same time, I was caring for my sister who lived in Maryland who had Cushing disease. So I was her power of attorney. I was kind of would fly, you know, whisk over there, see her when I was back east on work. And she had a couple surgeries to try and remove the tumor on her pituitary gland and dealt with all of that kind of thing. She died a year after my mom did. Oh, my goodness. And Mm -hmm. then my dad lived with me for six more years. And uh, my other sister from Ohio moved out and so she could help and uh, her two sons. And then for a year, they lived with us. We had a big multi-generational household and then they moved in next door. So (laughs) this has been my experience. So I come from it both from professional background in the field and my own personal experience, because the truth is it's really hard to understand something unless you've lived it sometimes. And no two caregiving experiences are the same. So even though I've lived my experiences, it's not necessarily what you two are going through, you know. So I think it's really important that caregivers connect because we all have something to offer. Yeah, I agree. And we recognize that we're extremely fortunate that we're able to have Todd's mother in incredible memory care community very close to us in Lincoln Park. And they have, from what we can tell so far since this started, just done the most phenomenal job. They're so creative with how to keep the residents entertained, but yet socially distancing. And they text us and send us photos of her dying Easter eggs and video of her walking the the resident therapy dog and doing the cha-cha with an instructor. And I mean, they're incredible, but like many people who have a loved one in multi-residential living environment, whatever that might look like, you know, we have a lot of concerns too. And and you kind of live on the edge. Absolutely. So Stephanie, it's quite clear that uh, Amy comes from a lot of experience on this. So why don't you dive in? Let's, Let's dive in. All right. So the first question we have for you is how can families be prepared in case their loved ones wind up in the hospital with COVID-19? Yeah, this is a huge concern for families because right now, no visitors. And it's one of the hallmarks of my experience after numerous, numerous hospitalizations with my family members. You know, I'm in there, I'm advocating, I'm asking questions, I'm making sure the right medications are being given. 
all the things that you tell caregivers to do, you can't do right now. Right. right. And so you have to find other ways to advocate for them. One of the first things to do is to be prepared. So before it happens, make sure all of the legal things are in uh, order, that they have uh, powers of attorney set up, that they have a living will. You know, advanced directives is the overall term, and that can include things like the five wishes documents. You can go online and look that up. It's a, it's a little bit more nuanced than a living will about some very, very specifics, what kind of music you want. Those are things that may or may not be adhered to in the hospital when you're not there to deal with that, but it's still a good idea to have all of this in place. A medical history, a list of medications, a list of all the doctors, all of those things. Because when we talk about what's happening for a lot of people right now is loved ones are going to the hospital, not necessarily with COVID. They may have COVID and then that's a whole different ballgame, but they may have a heart attack or they may have a stroke or they may have something else going on, an infection, a, a, not, a pneumonia not related to COVID-19. So make sure that everything's in order so that if they go to the hospital, if they're living it in their own home, Make sure there's a folder that has all of this information in it, a copy of their insurance card, your contact information, all emergency contact information. Make sure all of that is available. I always kept a folder near the front door so that you can just grab that folder. I always had, it was red so that you could find it and give that to the emergency personnel and then they can take that to the hospital. Todd, what? that's really good advice and something that uh, we have all that, but we should assemble it into one folder, like she said, and have it ready just in case. I'm yeah. very well equipped with all that information, but it's not in a convenient place if I have to no, make it's it. Not. So that's and a, if, you know, another option is to have it electronically. And everybody on the care team should have copies of everything electronically so that you can ha access it quickly. And that's always been convenient when we go to the hospital. I can pull it up on my phone. And I've been in hospitals and email the power of attorney to the person who then puts it, you know, prints it out. But now things are different. So yeah. it is important. Now you can contact the local hospitals where you know that your loved one might go. And I don't know, I, I live in the Phoenix area. There are so many hospitals, but I kind of know in general, the five or six hospitals right around here where someone here might go. And you can contact them and ask if you can go ahead and submit some of these documents for them to just have on file. And nice. then it's all there. In fact, I read an article about one hospital that was proactively making phone calls to older adults in the area and asking if they wanted to just upload them. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought it was really interesting and very proactive. Yeah. yeah Probably not great. happening widely, but <laughs> um, that, that's something that you can do. So the other big thing about going to the hospital to remember, and you know, I had the experience where I was in Washington, D.C., and my dad called me and said, I don't feel good. I don't think so something's not right. You know, And I couldn't get on another phone and call 911 for him because 911 goes to your local area. It's not oh, right. local service. And so, you know, he had to hang up and call 911 and call me back. And thankfully he was able to do that at the time, but not everyone can do that. So remember that is the case. And if you have a loved one living at a distance, think who is local, who I could contact and say, call 911 for mom, okay. a neighbor, a friend, another family member, a care provider, a geriatric care manager who you, or aging life care specialist who you have already on retainer to step in, in in case of an emergency, anyone like that, so that they could call 911. Yeah. Wow, I hadn't advice. even thought about that, but that's great. Yeah, it's yeah. something that we, we don't really think about, do we? Yeah. 
you know, we've only gotten through one question. I'm already going off script. So speak to someone <laughs> like me. So any minute I could get a phone call from my mother's community that says she had to go to the hospital for whatever reason. What's I'm feeling stressed about even thinking of the scenario because normally I would hop on a train and be right there. But is that a good idea now? I mean, should I stay at home and keep the situation less complicated and protect myself? Or, I mean, maybe it's an impossible question to answer. Well, the truth is they're not going to let you in the hospital. Right. That's true. I I don't know of a single hospital now who's allowing visitors except in an end of life situation. So if it looks like this is an end of life situation, then you might want to go because in fact, uh, Medicare has, and the CDC have put out guidelines saying, you know, in compassionate situations, which end of life is one of those compassionate situations where they will make exceptions. So you might be able to go and be with your loved one. I've, I've heard from a lot of caregivers who are, have been in this situation. Some of them, I was talking with a caregiver the other day who 23 days from when her mom went to the hospital, went to rehab, went into hospice, the last three days she was allowed to go visit her mother. Mm. And think how heartbreaking that is because she felt she missed the whole and you know, the whole yeah. three yeah. weeks that she could have been with her mom. Yeah. I'm but, guilty about it. It's this it's this it's what's happening. It's real. It's the you know it I is. Guess, and it's I just guess. happening over and over and over again. But it is really important that family caregivers understand that they can request that and that it should be honored that if this is a life an end of life situation. The tricky part is what is an end of life situation? Sure. Yeah. Who makes sure. that determination and when is that the case? Yep. And you know, I've heard some frustrations from people. But if it's not an end of life situation, you know, it's a really tough call. Actually this actually happened to a friend of mine just a few weeks ago where her husband suddenly became very ill in the middle of the night. They live in Utah, kind of out where there's not a, a really good hospital nearby. They had to go a couple hours to a hospital in Colorado. And she, you know, followed by ambulance and in her car and got there, couldn't do anything. She couldn't yeah. go to the hospital. Right. It was really, really hard. So she came home and managed the rest of his hospital stay on the phone. Now, some, you know, talk about the hospitals. It's really important to figure out how you get the communication because they should still be communicating with you. She said they were fantastic. They were constantly, they called her very regularly. She could call anytime she wanted to. The hospital staff are really trying to be very compassionate about this difficult situation, but they're sometimes they're busy, it's difficult, and there's a real wide range. Some are getting really good communication and some are not. So advocate in that way. Get Find out what's the nurse's station number. Who are the people that I can call? Can you fax or email me? They probably can't email anything because of HIPAA, but how can I get information. Do you have the right medication list for, for him or her? You know, that kind of thing. Well, that speaks more to the importance of having everything organized digitally because that makes it easier to get that stuff spread around. All right, let's continue on. We have a lot to cover, so I want to get <laughs> to it. So for those caregivers like Stephanie and I who uh, have a loved one in a nursing home or assisted living or even independent living, you mentioned a keyword earlier, advocate. How do we advocate for them uh, to ensure that services and care are up to par and what we expect and that they're ensuring their safety uh, from COVID during these, these times when, when we're unable to, to be on site doing that ourselves? Well, it, we can advocate. And that's, that's the thing. That's always our role, you know, especially when someone lives in a, a facility type living or a senior community. But we have to maybe do it differently. We have to do it all on the phone or email and that sort of thing. 
So, you know, you ask a lot of questions. You know, first of all, you want to know what are they doing to keep the residents safe? Find out, hold them accountable, say, you know, what are the new cleaning procedures there? Are residents being kept separate from each other? What's happening with the staff when they go from one room to the next room? Are they changing protective gear? Are they washing their hands? What, you know, what exactly is going on? And you have a right to know that and know what the plans are for future as things change as well. You want to ask about ways that you can communicate with your loved one. You want to see them, even if it's video. You know, a lot of people have trouble where your sounds like your mom is still pretty active. She talks on the phone with you, I assume. We do, we do face. We do FaceTime. We do video chats, right? But I think some, seeing our faces is important for her. I don't know yeah. how being on the just on the phone. I think might actually confuse her. Yeah, but, so, but she's done pretty pretty well with FaceTime. Excellent. My dad had visual impairment with his Alzheimer's, and so. Doing video chats wouldn't have done much for him, but it helped me. And I had videos in the house, two-way communication in the house. So when I was out of town traveling for work, I could see him. And that was important to me to see him, even if he couldn't see me. So sometimes we just need to see our people. Kind of, yeah. It's so reassuring to get a sense. The other thing is sometimes we notice things that others don't notice. She right. doesn't look right, or there's something off, or yeah. she's not sitting up straight. Somebody needs to straighten her up in her chair. So ask about how you can actually do video chat and see them. Many are doing window visits where you can come and stand outside the window and a closed window and actually see them. So ask about ways that you can communicate. You want to find out what the staffing is. Are they still continuing to see res- have full staffing? Are there activity staff? still there or social work stack. I've, I've heard stories of them laying that staff off in these facilities because that speaks to the wellness of your loved one and what yeah. kind of services they're getting and what activities they're getting and how are they interacting with other people. So you want to ask about all of those things. If you talk to your loved ones and they're living in a facility, reinforce the importance of the safety measures. Sometimes the people, they don't understand what's going on out in the world and they're frustrated with always having to wash their hands and that kind of thing. Reinforce, this is really important, mom. This is why we're washing our hands too. And, you know, just keep reinforcing what the staff at the facility are trying to do because they really are trying to keep their residents safe. Also think about the protective equipment that the staff are wearing. Do they have gloves? Do they have masks? Are they gowning up? And ask, of course, is there anyone in the facility who has been diagnosed with COVID-19? And if so, what's being done to keep them separate? How are you going to manage that if it happens? How have you been managing that? I think it's really important to demand to know if there are cases at that facility. They're supposed to tell you, are they not? I mean, we're very, very fortunate. As we record this in early May, uh, knock on wood, uh, uh, my mother's facility has not had one case, either resident or staff. So we're considerably blessed to, to have that knowledge. And I think we've been very fortunate that this team at Mom's Community is very communicative and, and they have been sending us very regular communications about their procedures yeah. and how everything's evolving as, as situation changes. I mean, it's a day-to-day situation, the changes that are occurring, and they seem to be on top of it. And, but I want to reemphasize the point, though, that if you're not getting that communication from your loved one's community, you have the right to pursue that and follow yeah. up and, and learn, right? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you should be getting regular emails. You should be be notified as soon as someone is diagnosed. It does, in terms of being required, you ask, you know, are people, do they have to report that? It varies from state to state. So if you're concerned about this, that you're not getting the reports and they're not out in the public the way they should be, then you should contact your governor's office. You should contact your state legislators and find out, you know, say this, this is important to me. This has to happen. You know, this is what we want to know. Well, another benefit I have found of the FaceTiming with Pat is that, so we, Todd has, ever since she moved in two and a half years ago, we send her flowers every week. So one of the things that she loves to do when we FaceTime is take a walk down to her apartment and show us the flowers. And what ends up happening is we get a view into her apartment and we can see that it's being kept clean and organized. So that's refreshing. The other thing that we do is we chat with the caregiver that's actually conducting the FaceTime for her. And we can see that they are fully gowned and in full PPE. So that's always reassuring too. That is, yeah. So like you say, eyeballing all of that. And what a wonderful idea to send her flowers once a week. And, you know, that's one of the things to ask. We, we haven't gotten there, but if your loved one is living in a facility like that, or even in their own home, sending things in the mail can be a real boost. And for the most part, people are still sending flowers, but some facilities have come up with rules where you can't send anything, right. you can't ship right. anything, you can't have any deliveries. Others will have come up with, they're going to set something aside for 24 hours before they'll deliver it. Right. Yeah. To have things stop. And so mm-hmm. if it's food, you got to know that. But flowers are such a great idea. And as you say, what a, a great thing to brighten her day. And that's actually, I love, I love that very much because my dad always had flowers for my mom and I could continue Aww. that. And, and right now I'm out of flowers because I have to go to the grocery store. So, but I try, that's one thing I do for myself as a caregiver too, is to, to have flowers around. Yeah, you got to look out for yourself well, too. Yeah, you know? and we do it too. I just started because we were getting so many flowers and that can add up. So I've now gotten into orchids that last a little longer, <laughs> even with my black thumb, than, you know, cut flowers. And so yeah, actually, it's been kind of right now. Yeah, that's been kind of a fun new hobby for me. And I mean, I've heard another thing you can do is is most communities have a system set up where you could send an email to yeah. an identified person who will then print mm-hmm. out the message and either go present it to them or read it to them. So yeah. there are yeah. ways. You just have to ask how to communicate with your loved one. Yeah, and I've known a lot of, of facility staff who are using their own phones and just taking mm-hmm. time and doing yeah. it. And it means the world to the families just to have that connection. And it really should be done on a regular basis. Yeah. The other thing that we've been doing, when this all first started, Todd and I sent pizzas to feed the entire staff at uh, her her community. And that, I mean, that went over really well and was so much appreciated. We did it as a thank you. And then when we went to do it again recently, they said, Thank you so much. But we've had so many offers now. We're asking everybody instead, you know, who's interested instead of sending food directly to contribute to our Grubhub account. And then that way they can coordinate and organize. So we did that. Um, Oh, that's a really nice idea. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for sharing that. I think that's, that's such a great idea. 
And whether it's in the middle of a pandemic or not, it's still a nice thing to do. For it, is, it is. It is. We show that appreciation. They're, they're, yeah, they're going yeah. through a lot of stress. I mean, yeah. this is a. I mean, their whole routine and how they do their job is is completely been overhauled and and turned upside down. And we're counting on them to do right, right. for our loved ones. Right. So, and yeah. there's a lot of fear. I mean, there's a lot. They're risking their lives in many ways. Right. One person well, gets it. They're not at home watching Netflix like Stephanie and I are. So, you know, they're, they're, they're on the front lines. I mean, they're on. Yeah. So uh, it's the least we could do. I wish we could do more. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just appreciation goes a long way. You know, that's always true. You know, appreciate the staff and, you know, your loved one's going to get better care. And especially now, you know, for the extra mile that they're going. If they so are. My next question was going to be, how can caregivers stay connected with loved ones? But I think we've kind of covered that, unless you have anything to add, Amy. Yeah, well, I would just point out that, you know, we talked about if loved ones live in a facility, you often need somebody else to help with them. So one of the things that caregivers, some of them have done is actually ship something to their loved ones to have it, whether it be an iPad, a Facebook portal, some kind of other tablet, a grand pad, you know, there's a lot of options out there that's easy for them to use and have it all set up. And others, the facilities have actually purchased extra tablets and things to use with the residents for this purpose. So a lot of them did that right away. And so make sure they have a device that works for them. I have a friend whose mom is like no tech and she's, she's yeah. with it and pretty independent, but living in assisted living. And so they sent her, I think it was a Facebook portal so that they could send okay. photos to it as well as talk to her. Oh, and that's cool. Do is tap on their picture and it calls, oh, neat. it calls them. Oh my God. Um, I hadn't even um, heard of that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Check that out. There's, there's a lot of them. Like I said, Grandpad is very friendly. Um, many people just prefer an iPad mm-hmm. or I don't know what the Android pads are called, but you know, there's a lot of different options out there. Just figure out what is going to work best for your loved ones. If someone's at home, you might have a home monitoring system in place, like a medical alert type thing that has two-way communication that you mm-hmm. can talk to them. That might be an option. Or again, make sure they have a tablet, a phone, something that they know how to use to connect. Some people, my aunt doesn't want to do video calls. She just never liked it and she doesn't want to do it. But my other aunt and uncle really got a big kick out of it. They had not done one before. And my cousin went over and I FaceTimed with them. So you find out what's preference for them, but making sure that when the people at home, and in some ways, people at home who are alone need even more frequent contact. Yeah. Should yeah. really be calling them every single day. And some people do multiple times a day, I know, because they're isolated and they maybe have been isolated, but now they're even more isolated. Right. So no, they don't have a caregiver walking them to a group activity or right. encouraging them to go walk the, you know, the, the resident uh, therapy dog. I mean, so they are alone. They desperately need that more so than the loved one in a, in a facility. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So find ways to communicate. I mean, the other thing about that is sending things. So you can coordinate your communication with, okay, I'm going to send you a book and then next week we're going to talk about it and have a little a, a video chat. Oh, that's a great or idea. I'm sending you a puzzle and then when the next time we talk, I want to see how far you've gotten on it. So you follow up, you have some continuity there. You build on the activity. You can send games. I have a friend that I grew up with who just did a really cool thing. She organized a Zoom call with all the grandkids. So her kids her brother and sister's kids, some great grandchildren and her mom, who she's taking care of. So that, and they set it up and they did a, who knows the most about grandma 
quiz. Oh, how cute. And they did it as a Zoom thing and she'd written all these questions and the kids had to guess and, and see what they knew. And there was a competition and see who won. And her mom loved it. That's she she said, that's right a, oh my God, that's an amazing idea. Yeah. I thought it was so creative and such a great, it's the kind of thing that you do like at somebody's 90th birthday or something. Right. But right. now this is just a great activity and it, it got everybody involved and it wasn't just a Zoom call where they sat there and said, hi, grandma, you know, they're right. doing something. It was exciting for her and it honored her as well. Well, the great thing. I love about, that. Yeah, I do too. The great thing about doing that on Zoom is you can record that because how what, yes. what a treasure yeah, to have that yeah. forever, you know, yeah. so that's, mm-hmm. that's really neat. Hmm. Yeah, and so, she can watch it whenever she wants. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Everyone can. All right. Let's shift to the home now. So those caregivers, those family caregivers who have a loved one at home, what can they be doing as we're going through this COVID-19 situation? What can they be doing in terms of safety precautions and, and monitoring healthcare? That's got to be a big challenge. Yes. Yeah. Well, we talked about staying in touch. I think that's number one. Stay in touch because that's partly how you've got to monitor their mental health as well as their physical health. And if you see someone who is in their pajamas every day, they're not showering, they're not taking care of themselves, you start to know, okay, something's got to change here. And um, if you see someone who's doing pretty well, and you know, that's great. Always know that sometimes people perk up for when you're communicating with them too. So have take that with a grain of salt. But you know, you have to talk about visitors. I hear from a lot of caregivers who are frustrated because they're got older parents, they're still, you know, we're independent and active, but they're in that that range of being at higher risk of getting a serious illness from COVID. And so they really should be staying home and they want to go out and go grocery shopping or they want to hop on an airplane and go somewhere that, you know, they, they're not quite getting it. So really important to kind of stress the whole thing about visitors. If someone comes to the house, have them stay out on the porch. Some people will have porch visits kind of thing where either your loved one sits on the front porch and you sit way out in the lawn in a lawn chair. And so you can still be, 15 feet away and still be talking to each other. Some people are doing that as the weather's getting nicer around the country. I don't know what it's like here in Chicago today, but um, it's winter. <laughs> it's still winter in Chicago. Yeah. Sorry about that. It's like 100 degrees here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's already summer, but people are finding creative ways to connect like that. And it can be really important. It again, it's, I know because I've been going through it. I haven't been feeling well. I've been isolating and I'm about to lose my mind. I haven't been in a store in six weeks. I haven't even been around so, my sister. So Amy, what about the people who have their loved one at home with them? Mm-hmm. That is to me, or in my view, I would think a very precarious situation because, you know, people either still have to go to the grocery store or even get groceries delivered. But the concern to me over bringing the virus into the home and then spreading it yeah. to someone that you're a caregiver for. What do people do in that situation? I'm hearing a a wide variety of responses. I know that I would not, at at the end of caring for my dad, I would not have been able to do it 100% by myself just because when he was up and moving, there had to be two people. I couldn't get a shower by myself anymore. So I would have had to have some help. And I I often think about how anxious I would have been. I would, you know, the minute somebody came, you know, and that's what I tell people, if you still have help coming in and it's, it's, it's really a personal decision at this point. Some people are continuing to have the help they had before. Many have cut back, but they have some help. Some have said, I'm not going to want anybody Mm -hmm. in the house at all. And if you're doing that, think about 
your own self and how long are we going to be doing this and what can you do? Because we, it's a marathon. Maybe you had help every day. Now you're going to have it three days a week or you're going to, you know, you're going to limit it. Maybe, you know, you're just not sleeping. And so you need to have somebody come in and spend one night so you can get a good night sleep. So think about the best way to do it safely and just be really, really strict about the precautions. If you have someone coming in from an agency to help, then ask the agency what they're doing. Are they supplying all the equipment? Do they have good masks? What kind of masks do they have? What are you expected to have at home? Literally, it is okay for you to request that they wash their hands every time. I mean, you know, really frequently because that's what we're all supposed to be doing. You have to. I think you have to insist uh, that they wear a mask and wear gloves and then maybe, heck, maybe take the temperature when they get to the house. I mean, I think you're... I don't know. If, I don't know if I can say it's your right to ask those things. Maybe it is. I think when they're coming into in your home and you're caring for your loved ones, I think it's a personal right to do it. Yeah, my so. personal opinion, but yeah. I think yeah. And if they're giving you a hard time about it, get someone else. Right. This is life or death. This could be a life or death situation. Yep. Right. It, for the them too. It protects the workers too. It's yeah. not just protecting you and your loved ones. It's protecting them as well. So request those things. Think about how you can give yourself a break during this time. I was a caregiver who everything had to be done and everything was done the day and I had all my lists and this is going on and on and on like this. Maybe this is a time when, you know what, I'm not going to sweep the floor tonight. I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm mentally and physically and emotionally exhausted. And I'm not going to, you know, there's some things I'm kind of kind of let go right now. Let yourself do that. Allow that. It's okay. You know, it might be that you're going to watch a movie with your loved one. Instead of making dinner, you're going to order a delivery in because you just can't do it again. So think about taking advantage of those things. When I was caregiving, I was doing the weekends by myself. I had help during the week while I was working. And then I was home on the weekends with daddy. And by Monday, I was so glad to go back to work. Sure. Because that was my respite to go to the right. grocery store, to do whatever. So I cannot imagine how all of you are feeling who are home and can't go out, you know, are are so limited in this way. So think about ways that you can escape in other ways. Even if you're not having respite workers come in and help you, is it planning a vacation? Is it looking at old scrapbooks and going over them with your loved one? Is it watching movies? Is it binge watching a program together? And if you are caring in your home and you haven't ever had any help, this is a hard time to start you right. know, yes. be afraid, but you might want to think about the safest possible way to do that and think about trying to find a little bit of help. And you can contact the area agency on aging and ask about services. You can ask about Meals on Wheels to give yourself a break from cooking. If your loved one's a veteran, you can contact the veterans, the VA healthcare systems and find out, you know, can you get some assistance? At an organization here in Chicago, tell them about that so people can maybe identify a similar like uh, service in their community. Yeah, so through a an international volunteer group, actually that I belong to, I belong to the Chicago chapter, I guess you call it. I have been making phone calls. I'm calling at risk seniors, and you know when I make the calls, I'm telling them that I'm volunteering with the city of Chicago and the Department of uh, Family and Support Services. And I'm just calling to check in on them and see, make sure, you know, just be a friendly voice and let them know, you know, somebody out here is thinking of you and cares about you. 
is there anything that you need? Are you doing okay? And then I am able to provide them. We have a fact sheet on COVID-19 to help them, you know, be sure they understand what they need to be doing in the home for themselves, for anyone living with them, when they should call a doctor, like what symptoms would dictate that. And then I provide them with resources. Like here in Chicago, there are certain things like you can call 311. I also give them the number for the Department of uh, Family and Support Services. The other day, I spoke with a woman, had a lovely conversation with her. And when I first asked her, are you doing okay? Do you need anything? She said, no, you know, I think we're doing fine. But then after I prodded a little more, she said, you know, we do need smoke alarms. And I was like, oh my, okay. This is important. So I gave her the number to the Department of Family um, and Support Services. And then she texted me back and said, I called it and it's not, I think it's the wrong number. So I called it and sure enough, no one was answering. So I tracked them down on Twitter and I tweeted to them, hey, I'm trying to help a senior in need. I'm trying to get in touch with you. They immediately replied on Twitter, gave me their email address. And then I emailed them right away and told them she's in need of smoke alarms and gave them her name and number and her husband's name and number. And they got back to her right away. So, yeah, so that was really great. So the point of the story is there are resources out there that can help you. There are, yeah. You can't hesitate to reach out and and get what you need. And, you know, there's a couple of really good points. First of all, there are a lot of these friendly call services. AARP is doing one. I think it's ARPcommunityconnections.org where you can sign up and do calls. Even if you're at home with your loved one that you're caring for, or if you are caring from, you know, you're from a distance and you're calling your mom every day and you think, well, she doesn't really need that. Hearing a different person's voice, not just you, is really helpful. So even if you're at home and your dad is living with you and talks on the phone to a a friendly voice visitor, uh, caller, and that gives you a break to do something else, sign him up. Think about this as an extra boost that you can do. And the other point is the smoke alarms. So this is the time when even people who are normally be going to Home Depot and get themselves a smoke alarm, they're not going out. They're not going in stores because they're being told not to, and they probably shouldn't be. So little things like that may be going undone. Right. So it's something to think about if you're, if you've got, you know, a parent at a distance or a loved one, check on things like that. The regular home maintenance stuff. Right. Everyone I've spoken with so far, and I'm still working through the list, but everyone I've spoken with so far has just been so thankful and gracious. And and in fact, this the same woman that needed the smoke alarms, I went through the whole, we, the COVID-19 fact sheet I have that I'm reading through <laughs> is more than a page long. They've all listened to it and they've all, mm-hmm, okay, I'm doing that. Oh, that's good advice, you know. Huh? So I got through all of it and she said, you know, I live here at home, you know, with my husband. I need you to call him and tell him all of this. So I said, okay. So I got his name and number. And um, I said, now, are you going to, are you going to let him know that I'm going to be calling? Nope. You wanted it fresh. You wanted to hear him to hear from somebody else. Bless his heart. He listened to the whole, my whole spiel. Yeah, that really is awesome. And that's such a good point that, you might talk to one person in a household and the other person needs a call too. Right, right, right. That's well, he was out running errands. So he wa- she wanted to be sure he, he got yes, the message. He was out running errands, so I caught him. So yeah. we've already kind of talked about the loved ones that are home, what we can do to help them stay active cognitively and physically. What are things that 
And we've kind of covered some of this, but you probably have some additional points. What are things that family caregivers can do to keep themselves sane during this stressful time? Yeah, this is, you know, we've kind of touched on this a little bit that everyone is stressed. I tell people, this isn't not just, we have a lot of anxiety in our family right now, or our community, or our state, or our country. This is the whole world. Right. The whole world is stressed out. And that's a lot of anxiety energy. So think about that. And even if you're at home, you're kind of in your little protected world, you're still feeling that stress. You know, you're hearing about it on TV, you're reading about it online or in the newspaper. It's still there. And there's a lot of unknowns right now and unpredictability. And that's hard for anyone in any situation. And when you're a caregiver, you've already got layers and layers of stress. So realize that this is more added on. Acknowledge that. And realize that when, you know, what happens when we have more stresses and more things depleting us, we have to fill ourselves up more. And my philosophy of self-care is I compare myself to a car because it actually happened where I went to a gas station and was about to run out of gas. And I was so relieved that I didn't run out of gas. And as I I filled up the car and I pulled out and I realized that I said, you know, the car runs better on with a full tank of gas. (laughs) And it was my aha moment where I realized I expected myself to run on empty and be just as efficient. Yeah. And it wasn't practical. It didn't make sense. And for me, that was the moment that I started thinking differently about taking care of myself. And it's, and since my dad passed away, I realized that I kind of stopped doing that. And then I realized this is a life lesson. This isn't just a caregiving lesson. And so I look at quick tank fillers, whether it's stopping to make myself a good cup of coffee or go through, you know, a drive through and get something. You look at the little quick things. It's connecting with other people. You need to connect with others in similar situations. You can go online. There are many telephone caregiver support groups now. And you can offer them, you can go to the disease specific organizations that have them. There are lots of ways to find them. Contact your area agency on aging by going to the elder care locator. Uh, that's eldercare.acl.gov. Find ways to connect with other caregivers and your friends and anyone else who fills you up. Think about what's draining you and what's filling you up. Premium fill ups are the things that take more time. And that's usually taking a class, going to a movie, having dinner with a friend. Okay, what of these things can you still do right now? Right. You do a lot online. You can take classes online now. You can watch a movie with your loved one and find one that they like as well. Take those times for a little bit more of a premium fill-up. I've been doing, uh, I do Pilates. That was the one thing that I, through my caregiving years, absolutely my my, uh, deal breaker thing. I rarely missed it. And so I've been doing it via Zoom with my Pilates instructor. And there's yoga and there's meditation. And there's all these things you can do online now. So take advantage of those things. Think about what fills you up. Creativity is a big one. And so if that means writing something or keeping a journal, gardening, I've been making a vision board. So I've got all the old magazines. I'm cutting things out and I'm putting things in the you know, places I want to travel and the way you know, I want my life to be. Things. This is a time when you can do that. So do something creative that fills you up as well. And then tune-ups are when you take a break and you're not caring for anyone. So unfortunately, there are some caregivers who are in a position now where they're kind of, they feel that way. They can't go to the facility and visit. You know, their job is smaller in some ways, even though they're spending a lot of time advocating on the phone. So take this time, do some things for yourself, but if not, find other ways to escape. I love all of those ideas. I mentioned my new hobby is orchids now, and I'm an 
it's fun because I I have a black thumb. I mean, we don't have a plant in this house except for now. I have three orchids that I'm hoping I can keep alive at least for a little while. It's so easy. I mean, every day I like I look at them to see like new blooms and you know the other thing I've been doing and that we've been doing. So I have been doing weekly Zoom calls with nine of my girlfriends from college. So ten of us. And they usually last about an hour and a half. We kind of do a happy hour. I look forward to those every week. And it's just, it's brought us all a lot closer and, and it's a ton of fun. And then we also started on Wednesday nights now, every Wednesday, we do a Zoom call with my mom and stepfather and my brother. And those have been great too. And That's it took them, took them a, a minute to get used to the technology and kind of how to manage it but those have been really great so now my next project is going to be to try to get my dad on, on oh, yeah. good luck with that <laughs> yeah good luck with that but and, you know again think about the device because it's easier on some devices than others right. well he's amy, only got three laptops so he can probably manage it yeah. amy two key takeaways though from those comments one is you're not alone yeah. there are millions of people in the same shoes right. that you are and you know i, I sometimes lurk in this caregiver support group that, that I know you are a big part of. And, and people are so grateful to know that there's someone listening to them going through the same thing. So don't minimize the importance of that if you're listening to this, because there is a community of people who are going through it with you and can be helpful and supportive. And the other thing is the classic case of the oxygen mask in the airplane, right? You got to put yeah. yours on first or you won't yeah. be in a position to help others. And so you've got to take care of yourself. Right. And that's why I like the car analogy, because the oxygen one works for me in a crisis. When the airplane's going down, that's a crisis. You're going to put that thing on. But caregiving is a day to day to day thing. And so that's why the ongoing, in fact, the other category is routine maintenance. You have to do the routine maintenance. You have to eat well, you have to exercise, you have to sleep, you have to go to your doctor's appointments. Sleep actually is number one because that fills you up so that you can keep going the next day. Right. And, and as you say, it's not selfish. It's just practical. You've got to do that. Yeah, great stuff. We could talk for more for hours about some of the stuff. <laughs> and uh, I have a feeling we're going to have you back on the show because there's plenty of other material that we could dive into. Today's focus was more on as COVID-19 is on our minds and yeah. impacting how these caregivers are going about their daily lives. So really, really grateful for you to come on and give us an hour of your time and share with some really critical stuff. Amy, before we let you go, should anyone need to connect with you or learn more about you have dozens of resources that you're a part of? Uh, where do people go to get more help? Well, you can always go to my website, amygoyer.com. And I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Pinterest and Instagram and LinkedIn. And it's all just Amy Goyer. So okay. go to any of those sites, put in Amy Goyer as one word, and you'll be able to find me. Yeah, and we'll link up to all that in the show notes as well. So Amy Goyer, author, speaker, and consultant specializing in caregiving and family issues. Amy, it was a real treasure to have you on the show today. Thanks so much on behalf of Stephanie and myself for joining us and giving us uh, your valuable time. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all that you are doing to help caregivers in the world. Yeah, we appreciate that. All right, it's all the time we have for today. On behalf of our guest, Amy Goyer, my co-host, Stephanie Schnick. I am Todd Schnick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on The Foundation Podcast. The Foundation Podcast is produced by Intrepid Media and is made possible in part by the Todd and Stephanie Schnick Foundation. Learn more by visiting schnickfoundation.org. And thank you for listening. Now, get out there and do some good. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>